excited about our time in God's Word. Um, for those who are visiting for the first time, my name is Marcel. I serve as the family pastor here at Woodhaven Bible Church. And <laughs> someone said, yeah, amen, amen. Some love there. And again, I'm, I'm, I'm certainly glad to be with you guys, to be able to share in the ministry of the Word. Uh, right now, Nathan is working through the book of James. And I don't know about you guys, but I've been challenged and I've been encouraged by uh, how he's walking through that book. And there's much from that book specifically that uh, we need to uh, glean from, we need to uh, turn our eyes to, uh, we need to be attentive to. So if you haven't had an opportunity to keep up with any of his sermons in the book of James, I would just encourage you to visit our website and you can access them there. Also, I would even encourage you all to, uh, as you are putting together a personal reading plan for the week, I would strongly encourage you to actually read through the book of James for the week. It's only five chapters, right? Just five chapters. You can read through the book of James for the week. And that's, just, that's just an awesome way to just be tracking with Nathan as he's walking us through this book. Speaking of Nathan, let's be in prayer for him as he's traveling, he and his family. I uh, pray that this is a time of just relaxation for him. Pray that he's able to reset. Pray that he's able to recalibrate during the time as he's traveling. Uh, again, I'm excited to be with you guys this morning. Before we, before we dive into our time, let's go to the Lord and ask him for his guidance. Okay? Let's ask him for his guidance. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, we are grateful for your great love for us, and we're grateful that uh, with the songs that we just sung, how those songs orient us to your truth. This last song that spoke of the amazing grace, the amazing love that you have shown us through the Lord Jesus, I pray that our hearts would be encouraged by that. God, I pray that during our time that you would give us ears to hear your truth, and not only to hear your truth, but to digest your truth and to appropriate your truth to our lives. I pray that you would give us eyes to see the Lord Jesus lifted on. I pray that you would give us, give us the, the ability to embrace all that's going to be communicated here today. We love you, God, and we thank you for this time. And we ask for your guidance during this time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 All right, so this morning we're going to actually be in a book that is one of the most beautiful, one of the most unique, and I'll qualify it this way, one of the most dopest books in the New Testament. That's right, it's a dope book. Uh, so if you have your Bibles, turn with me to the Gospel of John. Turn with me to the Gospel of John. Now, if you've read through any of the Gospels, you know that the Gospel of John, undeniably, it's different from the other three. Right? Now we know the other three Gospels are known as the Synoptic Gospels. But the Gospel, the Gospel of John is different from the other three, particularly in John's storytelling, in John's writing style, and his perspective. John places an emphasis on the person of Jesus at the beginning of the book. And I read through the prologue when we begin our time of worship. I didn't read through the entire prologue, but I read through an aspect of the prologue. And again, What's happening in the prologue is that John has this high Christology. Basically, this is just a fancy way of saying John says a lot about Jesus. 
right? He says a lot about Jesus. And what John says in the prologue, as, as it pertains to who Jesus is, he testifies that Jesus is 100% God. We look at verse 1, and I read this again in the prologue. It says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. But John doesn't just stop there. Because not only is Jesus 100% God, but Jesus is 100% man. How do we know that? Look at verse 14. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. At the end of John's book, John places his purpose statement at the end of the book. His purpose statement, it, it, it really functionally is a thesis statement. And if any of you all have done any writing, we know that thesis statements technically go at the beginning of a writing. But John places it at the end. And in chapter 20, verse 31, here's the purpose statement. He says, but these are written so that you and I might believe that Jesus is the Christ. He is the Son of God. And that by believing, you and I might have life in his name. I love the gospel of John. And I'm not just saying that because I'm preaching from the gospel of John this morning. I really get down with the gospel of John. I love how John uses poetic language, metaphors, and symbolism to emphasize the person and work of Jesus. I love the gospel of John. I'm very forthright in my love for the, for the gospel of John. And while I have crazy love for this book, my goal is not to preach this entire book this morning, okay? So you all can exhale and rest easy in knowing that I'm not going to preach the entirety of this book. I'll leave that to me. <laughs> but this morning, I want you to turn with me to a familiar chapter, a familiar text. Turn with me to John chapter 17. And as you're turning to... John 17. Again, this is a, a very familiar text. This chapter is known as Jesus's High Priestly Prayer. This is a text that, that records one of the most intimate moments between God the Father and God the Son. This text lands just after Jesus's upper room discourse, but right before he's arrested and crucified. This is a text that has encouraged Christians for over two millennia. This is a wonderful text. This is a text that helps us to understand what Jesus desires for his church. So what we're going to do this morning, we're going to actually read the entire text. Say, what? Yes, we're going to read the entire text. And we're going to do that because there is great intimacy and affection that flows from the heart of Christ in this prayer for us. Now, while we're going to read the entire text, we're, I'm going to specifically focus on verses 20 and 26. I'm going to preach from that this morning. But again, we're going to take in the text in its entirety and then uh, pivot and look specifically at verses 20 through 26. You guys good with that this morning? Yes. All right, all right. Let's read John chapter 17. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that the son may glorify you. 
since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to, to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence, that the glory that I had with you before the world existed. I manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me. And they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you, for I have given them the words that you gave me. And they have received them and have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I am praying for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them, and I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except for the son of destruction the son of perdition, that the scriptures might be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you and these things that I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of this world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask you to take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in truth. Your words are truth. As, I, as you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they may also, that they may be sanctified in truth. Verse 20. I do not ask for these only, but for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given them, that they may be one even as we are one, I in them and you in them, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and love them, even as you love me. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given me. Because you love me, you love me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you. And these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. Amen, amen, and amen. Now, this morning, what we're going to do, I'm going to look specifically at uh, verses 20 through 26. And what I want to consider this morning are 
two desires that are at the heart of Jesus' prayer for his church. Again, two desires that are at the heart of Jesus' prayer for his church. But then also we want to look at two dangers that exist when we fail to embrace and heed Jesus' words. What are the dangers that exist when we fail to heed, to hear, to listen, to apply Jesus' words? Now, before we jump into the first desire that Jesus prays, I think it's helpful for us to consider that massive text that I just read. I want to help us with the layout of the text. Verses 1 through 5, and if, if you're tracking with me, you can just, just shake your head at me, right? I don't, or you can snap, right? Jazz button, snap, right? But verses 1 through 5 in chapter 17, Jesus is praying for himself. And then in verse 6 through 19, you guys tracking with me? Okay, so some people check that. In verses 6 through 19, Jesus is praying specifically for his disciples. And then in verses 20 through 26, and that's where we're going to be today, Jesus prays for his church. He says in verse 20, I do not ask for these only, but for those who will believe in me. And they're going to believe in Jesus through the apostolic teaching of the disciples. That's very, very important. Right? Belief in Jesus doesn't mean that we get to make this thing up as we go. We don't. Belief in Jesus is on the foundation of apostolic teaching. It's on the foundation of what God has revealed about himself through his word. Right? And so the first desire that we arrive at that Jesus prays for regarding his church, it's in verse 21, and it's that they may all be one. Again, they, that they may all be one. Jesus desires and prays earnestly for our unity. Let me say it again. He desires and prays earnestly for our unity. Now, this desire is repeated in verse 22, and it's also repeated in verse 23, and it's directed at the church in all places, at all times, everywhere. And when, you, when, you, when I say everywhere, that means er, <laughs> everywhere, all-encompassing, not every, but everywhere. But prior to this petition, Jesus also prays for his disciples. He, he, he makes this petition also for his disciples in verse 17. I'm sorry, in verse 11. This, this phrase, that they may all be one, it's repeated four times in this passage. And anytime you're reading through scripture, when we see repetition within a passage, we've got to make sure that we're cueing in to what the writer is trying to communicate. Because John is conveying something meaningful right now. Jesus is praying that we might be one. Now, the question I want to deal with is... What does Jesus mean by unity? And what is unity predicated on? What does he mean by it? And what is it predicated on? Now I can assure you that Jesus isn't taking a line from Bob Marley's 1977 hit, uh, One Love. That's not what he means by unity. Some of you guys are smiling because you know exactly what I'm talking about. That's not what he means by unity. And what he's also not, not doing, he's not taking Queen Latifah's hit in 1993, U-N-I-T-Y. He's not taking that. I got one person over here that's smiling because he, he knows. He knows that song. 
But Jesus prays for, what he prays for regarding unity is that we would demonstrate a unity of purpose in the gospel. And this unity of purpose in the gospel, it is predicated on and corresponds to the oneness that exists between the Father and the Son. Well, how do we know this? Well, consider what follows in verse 21. As Jesus prays for a unity of purpose for his church, he says that they may all be one. Why? Just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may also be in us. And he repeats this in verse 22. He says that they may be one, even as we are one. Verse 23, that they may be become perfectly one. Why? Because there is flawless unity of purpose in the Godhead. There is flawless unity of purpose between the Father and the Son. And again, this unity of purpose is predicated on the oneness that Jesus enjoys with the Father. And it is rooted in the reality that the Father is in the Son and the Son is in the Father. And although they are distinct in their person, there's a unity of heart, a unity of mind, and a unity of will between them. They are one. There's no, there's no conflict in their aims, right? There's no conflict in the, gospel, in, in the Godhead. They're united in one glorious purpose. Now you're saying, okay, Marcel, you, you wax an eloquent on me. What does that all, what does that mean? How can you chop this up and make it plain? Absolutely. I believe what this means for us as believers is that while we exhibit distinctions, be it ethnically and socioculturally, faith and trust in Christ brings us into that unity of purpose that exists between the Father and the Son. And the way that we demonstrate this unity of purpose, this oneness, is by cultivating care, concern, and affection for one another. That's how we demonstrate it. We cultivate this care, concern, and uh, affection for one another. And all of that is driven by the perfect unity that exists between the Father and the Son. If I can say it another way, we want to love like God loves. Right? We want to pursue one another like God pursues us. Now, before we go to the next desire, I want you to take a notice. Take notice how this demonstration of unity, unity of purpose, it has a dual purpose. And it's not just for our edification and our sanctification, but it's also for are for, for evangelistic purposes. Hopefully we don't have another mic brother. And we, we know this because when we consider the so that statements that are in verse 21 and 23. Again, think, consider the, 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 the dualistic purpose of it. Edification, sanctification, but also evangelistic. In verse 21, it says, so that. We have a unity of purpose. Why? so that the world may believe that you have sent me. We have a unity of purpose in the gospel, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them, even as you love me. There's a dualistic purpose to our unity. Now, I want us to just consider, so we're going to go to the next desire, but just consider the fact that Jesus, in this moment, is praying for our unity. 
And consider the circumstances surrounding Jesus in this moment as he prays for unity. He's going to the agony and the shame of the cross. He's going to death and burial. He's also going to go to uh, resurrection and ascension. But his concern is directed at his followers. His concern is directed at believers. And that's humbling. That is so humbling. Because when we, when we consider the, the polarized world that we live in and the different tensions that are being exposed in this polarized world, of all things that Jesus prays for is unity. He prays that we might exhibit a unity of purpose that corresponds with and mirrors the great and glorious love that the Father has for the Son. I believe that if unity of purpose is on Jesus' radar, it ought to be on ours as well. Amen? It ought to be on ours as well. So that's our first desire. Jesus prays for our unity. Let's consider the second desire. We see this in verse 24. Glad I had that thing down. We see that in verse 24. And it says, Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am to see my glory that you've given me. Because you love me before the foundation of the world. The second desire that Jesus prays for is that we would see his Lord. He prays for unity of purpose, but also that we might be with him to see his glory. Now, this desire is huge because seeing Jesus' glory means that we see his glory as God the Son. And, you know, if we're honest, we often get distracted from viewing Jesus as he truly is. We get distracted. We get lost in the sauce of life. We become sidetracked from seeing, seeking, and being satisfied with Jesus. The busyness of life, the, the tyranny of the urgent, robs us of that. We don't cherish him as we ought to, if we're honest. We don't. We don't exalt him to his proper place in our lives, as we should. Now, before we begin to condemn ourselves, remember Romans 8. Right? Romans 8, 1. No condemnation. Remember that the Lord is praying earnestly for this petition as well. He's making this petition. He's praying that we would see his glory. Why? Because he knows our frame. He knows that we are weak. He knows that we are inconsistent. He knows that we are fickle. We're fickle. And he knows that what we need most is to ingest and digest the gospel and to see him for who he truly is. Now, before we press a little further into this, I want you to notice the future orientation of verse, verses 24 through 26. There's a future orientation to this passage. For those who, who see the unveiled splendor of the sun. One, with that future orientation, I want you to just kind of think about it. This is something that ought to comfort us. Jesus says, I pray that they might be with me to be with me and to see my glory. Not to see it dimly as we see now, but to see the full unveiled splendor of the glory of Jesus. 
And I don't want us to miss this part about the future orientation of this passage. Because for, for those who see his glory there, obviously they're with him, they are those who have a longing for his glory here. Did you catch that? Those who see his glory there have a longing for his glory here. Those who see his glory there, they're with him. They have a longing for his glory here because they're in him. And again, Jesus prays that we would, we would see his glory. We would have a longing for his glory. We would be enthralled and captivated by the glory, as John says, of the word being made flesh and dwelling among us. That we would be enthralled and captivated by the glory of the one who is full of grace and truth. That we would be enthralled and captivated by the one who is at the Father's side and who has made him known to us. Toward the end of this section, in verses 25 and 26, this desire is coupled with a promise. It's coupled with a promise. And in verse 25 and 26 reads, O righteous Father, even though the world does not know me, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. Did you catch the promise? There was a promise. And Jesus, Jesus, Jesus articulated that promise by saying, I will. Not I might, but it's definitive. I will. I'll, I'll, I'll do what? He says, I am going to make God's character known to those whom you've given me. He's going to make God's name known to us. Well, let's just kind of think this through, okay? All right, I got you, Jesus. You're going to make God's character known to us. Yeah, even in a pandemic, guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to make God's character known to you. Even during an economic downturn, guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to make God's character known to you. Through suffering, I am going to make God's character known to you. Through racial tension, I am going to make God's character known to you. Through, through political polarization, I am going to make God's character known to you. How does he do this? It's through the gospel. I want you to consider the one who's making this promise. If we go to verse 4 in chapter 17, the one who makes the promise is the one who was faithful in accomplishing the work that the Father has given him. The one who makes the promise is a promise keeper. The one who makes the promise is capable. He is faithful. He can do it. He got it done. He will get it done. That's amazing. Now, again, Jesus desires for us to see his glory. I think that what, what that means for us is that he desires that we lean into, learn from, and live out of the great love that God has shown us through the Son. Let me, let me chop that up and just say that a little differently. He desires that we lean into, learn from, and live out of our being justified. He desires for us to lean into, learn from, and live out of our having been adopted. He desires for us to lean into, learn from, and live out of 
our reconciliation. What he's doing for us as he is sanctifying us. He desires for us to lean into, learn from, and live out of our future with him. Our glorification. And here's why. Jesus prays that we might see his glory. When we see the glory of the Son, we are beholding the wisdom and power of a glorious God. When we see the glory of the Son, we're beholding the wisdom and power of a glorious God. I want to say this, folks. <laughs> Jesus knows that we, again, are inconsistent with this. And not only are we inconsistent with this, you and myself, we are glory thieves. The very thing that we were meant to delight in, we distort and we bend it to serve ourselves. Right? We, we, we distort it, we bend it to serve ourselves. And Jesus prays here that we would not serve ourselves, not, 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 not bend things in such a way to where we're more uh, uh, enthralled and captivated with our glory, but he prays that we would be enthralled and captivated by his glory. This is the glory of the one who is the supreme ruler on the throne. This is the glory of the one whose kingdom is to come. This is the glory of the one whose purposes cannot be thwarted. They will be done. Jesus prays for this. He prays for this. So we've got our two desires. He prays for our unity. He prays for, how, uh, for us to see his glory. And I want to work really quickly through the, the two dangers that exist if we fail to heed Jesus' words. And we're almost done. But the first danger is that if we fail to embrace the unity that Jesus desires for us, there are evangelistic consequences. I'm going to work that out a little bit. Because a church that is divided in its purpose cannot tend to or heal the wounds of a broken and a divided world. Neither can it point that broken and divided world to its ultimate hope. If there's disunity there, it affects evangelism. It affects our witness. We're incapable of carrying out the, the mind, the method, the mission, and the heart of the master. So we want to make sure that we're, we're, we're considering that danger. If we fail to embrace what Jesus is saying in terms of our unity in the gospel, second danger, and we're almost done, is that when we fail to cherish and be enthralled by Jesus' glory, we will, will fill that with a lesser functional Savior, a lesser functional pseudo-false Savior. And what happens is that we'll undermine the sufficiency of, the, uh, of Christ, and it'll rob us of true joy. If we are filling that void with a lesser functional, uh, functional Savior, it's going to undermine Jesus' sufficiency. It's going to rob us of true joy. 
But as we close our time, and again, we're near being done. As we close our time, my, my, my prayer, my hope, is that our hearts would actually be made tender to what Jesus desires and prays for us. I, I pray that our hearts would be made tender to that. But I also pray that we would actually look to, cherish, and be captivated by Jesus. To really be that type of person that looks to. And when, when things aren't going the way that I want them to go, I need to look to and be captivated by Jesus. When suffering arrives on the scene, I need to look to and be captivated by Jesus. I pray that we would be those type of people, that type of person. I pray that out of, out of gospel humility that we would be arrows. We would be literally arrows. I wish I could draw the diagram. Arrow, right? We would be an arrow pointing one another and pointing a broken world to the great love that God has shown us in and through this son. Might we be that? We'd be arrows that, says, that say, not to us, O oh Lord. In how we live, not to us, O oh Lord, but to your name. To your mighty name belongs the glory. To your mighty name belongs the honor. I pray that we would be that in, in a fallen world. I pray that for us today. So let's end our time and let's pray. Father, thank you so much for an opportunity to get into your word and to work through this prayer that Jesus offers to us. I pray that we would take time to, to actually uh, meditate on this prayer. I pray that we would take time to actually consider what, what's communicated through this prayer. And I pray, God, that we would take time to appropriate what Jesus is desiring for us in this prayer. That we would be unified in the gospel and that we would be enthralled with the Lord Jesus. It's a very trying thing, difficult thing to do at times. But God, we know that by and through your spirit, you, you, you can and you will and you will always accomplish that very work that you're requiring of us. I pray that for us today, God. For that in Jesus' name. Amen.